This is an ABC podcast. Bang, 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 Oh my God, it's so good to see you. And look, I'm not going to, you know, downplay how beautiful you look at this time of morning slash afternoon that we're recording, (laughs) but you, it's slightly different to the last time I saw you, which was on the red carpet of the Logies going the full, beautiful, royal blue disco ball. You looked amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Big, big shout out to SBS Styling for looking after me for the Logies because they do a beautiful job and I felt like a princess, you know. I don't often say that, but I love the dress. It was, you know what, it was stretchy, Mm. it was structured, it had massive shoulders like a football player's, you know, (laughs) like the American gridiron players. Yeah. It had had sleeves. Um, I wore shoes. Well, actually, the shoes were really painful. Um, and that kind of ruined my night. But that, that's like every time you go out, isn't it? And you dress up with that shoes. Shoes are just, ladies' shoes are just awful. Not fucked. They give They're you fucked. so much pain. But yeah, I felt I felt amazing. Um, absolutely, really comfortable. And that's probably the first time I've ever felt really amazing on a red carpet like that. In the sense that I just knew it was fine. Everything was fine. You yeah. Know? Everything's being kept in. Stressful. There's no, nothing that's going to fall out. You felt like confident. You felt ready to roll, like a star, like the star that you are. Thank you, Zan. Thank you. But because um, it is a pretty bizarre thing, the red carpet at the Logies. It's the most intense and hectic experience you can have when it comes to red carpets. It's the it's the top notch if you're in Australia, um, which is not to say it could be anything like America or any other country, but. In Australia, it's top-notch bonkers. Mm. So you, you get on it and it's and it was actually really nice this year because I saw so many people I haven't seen for so long on the red carpet and, um, you know, it, it's I guess it's like any kind of work do really when it boils down to it. it <laughs> I'm sorry, glamorous, you, but you guess that the Logies are like any kind of work do? <laughs> well, just in terms of people catching up that you haven't seen because TV you work with lots of different people at different times and you don't necessarily keep in really close contact but when you work with them and you'd be knowing that by doing the show at the moment that you're doing in Nashville it's very intense so you form these quite intense relationships with people who you don't see again yeah for six months or 12 True. months so yeah I actually had a really nice time catching up with loads of people and and finding out what the, they've been doing with their lives you know so that was that was really nice um but yeah it's it's always a funny one like People think it's really glamorous and, and it and it looks it, but I was in hair and makeup, I reckon, by about one o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't get out of the venue until I don't think the it finished until eleven thirty at night. And this old lady was tired. Like I could <laughs> I could barely walk because of my shoes and, and Joel Creasy, my co-host on we were there for SBS. He's my co-host on Eurovision, which you of course you all know. Um he said, oh, you got to come to the Channel 10 party. You just get in one of these cars and all these cars pull up out the front and you just get in and they take you off to another party. Um, somehow I got in, I don't know. But I literally lasted five minutes. That was it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. I've got to go to bed. Because you go from being, and this is just between you and me and the bang fan, you go from being really excited with like a few champagnes under the belt, you woo, 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 and then... <laughs> And then you kind of go from that to, oh, geez, I'm hungry, and the meal comes. And there was not a bread roll on that table, and I was just devastated. All I wanted to do was eat. I was starving. 
and look, it was like the food was was good, but no bread rolls. And you need bread. You need some carbs in there. Oh yeah, you need the carbs. Yeah. So you, you go from being a bit joyful, tipsy, to then just a little bit almost hungover by the end of the broadcast because it's been so long and it's been such a long day. Um, but, yeah, high, plenty of highlights. If anyone watched it through the 74-hour broadcast that it was, um, we had Tony Armstrong who's just his rise and rise to fame has been extraordinary. He's done a take five with you, of course, and mm. um, you were on it long before everybody else. And he deserved to win Best New Talent. He, everyone loved it in the room. Sadly, though, he was the first person to do an acknowledgement of country. Uh, really? No one else had done it, thought it, thought or deemed it important even in the at, ceremony. Even to before, do it. like at the start of the ceremony, no one did no. an acknowledgement. No. That's wild. No. Isn't it wild in this day and age? That is wild. So he, he, I mean, it's his, it's his obligation to do so. So he, and, and, and no one had done it. So <laughs> that was pretty disappointing, Channel 9, got to say. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, it was just a hoot in general, lots of catching up, a lot of, I caught up on a lot of gossip um, from, from Joel because he knows what's going on. I'm sorry, oh God, my figure with TV industry. Um, I can only imagine who, the kind of tea that Joel was spilling. Like, I want to be on a table with Joel Creasy at the Loki. <laughs> it's good like that. I mean, even like Adam Liao was on our table too. And even like by the end of the 74 hours of the broadcast, he was just, he was struggling. I've got it. Like we were all just struggling. It's too long. I feel like we need to have a real shake up of it. Give it to another network. Give it a bit more Shazam. A few more younger presenters. Mm. It just it felt a bit pale and stale. And and like Chrissy Swan absolutely nailed it in her presenting spot. There was some there was some women that that haven't had the gig thus far that that I think could do it. You know. Um, get Joel and Reese to, to host or, you know, something like that. Like it, it just it just felt a bit pale and stale. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a fun time but it's a long time and by the end of it it's bedtime. So <laughs> <laughs> Almost a beautiful Logie's haiku there. Also the, that idea yeah. of like the, you know, the pale and stale, I think that we're still, you know, <laughs> being the networks, the main Australian TV networks are being dragged, yeah, kicking and screaming towards reflecting what Australia looks like um, in this day mm. and age. I think the streaming has done, and of course the local content that stri- big streaming services are commissioning is sort of pushing that along a little bit further. But the there was a piece by Osman Faruqi in the in the Nine newspapers about you know that that lack of diversity. Um, and in terms of, you know, representing some brilliant performances by Australian actors that were culturally diverse, it just wasn't recognised at the Logies, um, either in the popular vote or the critical vote, the industry vote. So, yeah, it's I'll put that in the show notes because Tony Armstrong was, um, you know, an historical win and a beautiful win and a much-deserved win from a guy who is the man of the moment. But that was kind of a rarity on the night. Uh, Melissa Leong was the only person of colour nominated in the Gold Logie category. And, yeah, it reflects what we see on screen, isn't it? It's, mm. you know, the people who are nominated are, are the things that we see. And we've talked about this before. Australian television is still um, incredibly white in terms of the shows that are, that are commissioned. It's changing, but it's changing very, very slowly. Very slowly. Um, I think I think it's really time for a shake up. Otherwise, otherwise they're kind of cornering themselves into irrelevance. Well, yeah, it just doesn't. Re- it doesn't reflect the world. It doesn't reflect our country. It's 
it's time to use a, a, a much used adage for that. It's it's just time. It's frustrating, I think, for me. I'm finding it frustrating watching it going, why isn't someone just doing something a bit more about this? Well, the woman who's always reflecting the times and I would say a groundbreaker for the times, Beyonce returned in the last few days. All we were excited and few people sort of spotting that she had uh, removed her profile pic from her socials, which, you know, usually is a good indicator that an artist is about to drop something big. And she did. This is the first taster of her new album, Renaissance Part One, which is going to be coming out soon. Break my soul, throwing it back with a house music classic. I have been listening to this song nonstop. It's so good. (laughs) Like it's, it reminds me of that time, late 80s, early 90s, house music was really coming through in a mainstream way. All those tracks, right on time, that kind of snap. Do you remember that group? And and all those jaunty keyboards with a house beat. I got the power. Yeah, exactly. All and power vocals as well. And surprisingly enough, uh, she actually sampled one of those classic tracks from the era for this song, Robin S's Show Me Love, which is considered one of the greats. And yeah, just harking back to that time, there was a sense of optimism, there was a sense of joy, there was a sense of we can all party freely, happily and safely. And it just seems to me to have come at the right time. We all needed this. I don't think we knew we needed it, but when I heard it, I went, oh, I love it. We need it. This is great. Have you have you given it a few spins? Oh, I've been listening to it nonstop, and it's kind of interesting to read about it. On the Robin S front, um, Robin S apparently didn't know that she was going to be sampled, that her big hit was going to be sampled. And the way that I know that is that Tim Scheel, our friend, my co-broadcaster on Double J who does Arvos, slid into her DMs yesterday and basically said, hey, do you want to come on the show? And he had a chat with her about being sampled and found out that she had no idea, like she woke up in the morning and her phone was going off pinging out of control (laughs) people are like have you heard this Beyonce sampled your hit and she had no idea that it was coming which is a hell of a way to find out that one of the biggest artists in the world who hasn't released Mm -hmm. a record in six years since Lemonade in 2016 the first single from this new record she's sampling Robin S show me love I'm going to put the chat that Tim and Robin S had in the show notes because it's just so beautiful and she captures mm. um, her amazement but also her respect for Beyonce and continuing this, this you know, nod to not just house music but, you know, queer black traditions like the not only Robin S but Big Freedy has been sampled, you know, yes. the, the queen of New Orleans bounce and when you hear those elements you're just like and you hear that house music the first thing I heard, thought when I heard this was like, Jesus Christ, this song is made for voguing, you know. And if you don't know what voguing is, Madonna referenced it in her huge hit, but where it really comes from is from, you know, a club queer tradition, a, a place that is very much a, a black queer tradition as well. And if you've never seen the incredible documentary Paris is Burning, it was added to Netflix about a year or so ago. That will give you an idea of what, what voguing is. But that thing that you just said, Miff, about, that kind of feeling of optimism. I saw that she, like Beyonce doesn't do interviews, but she did an interview last except year. Except with me. Except with you, where you almost made her cry. 
Let's never forget you almost made her cry. So jealous. So jealous that you were in a room with Beyonce. Um, and that was magical. So good. She spoke to Harper's Bazaar last year and indicated that new music was coming because it had been a while. And she said, yeah, with all the isolation and injustice over the past year, I think we're all ready to escape, travel, love and laugh again. I feel a renaissance emerging and I want to be part of nurturing that escape in any way possible. And that's what it feels like. It's kind of like, and that's what her album's called, the renaissance. It sort of signals this this hope for a glorious time ahead. And she even kind of references, like, remember we spoke a lot about the Great Resignation, which I don't think necessarily happened in Australia, but it definitely was a shift, a vibe mm-hmm. shift in America yeah, of the Great Resignation. Yeah. And she almost like you could take the lyrics of the opening verses you know, as a reference to that, she's like, I just fell in love and I just quit my job. I'm going to find new drive. Damn, they work me so damn hard. She kind of just captures all these moments that like all great pop music can relate totally to the now or can just relate to your personal situation, whatever that may be. It's just, Mm. it's just a celebration, isn't it? It's a, a celebration of freedom and connection once again and partying, partying in the clubs. Totally. I'm yeah, ready to party as long as it you know, I don't have to sit around too long in a smart frock before I get to party. I've got a small window in which I can do it. I have a few champagnes, then I'm ready to party, and then I'm ready for bed. So this is this is good. But she even um, like the big Freedia track "Explode," which I love anyway. But all that, all those words. I mean, that's from quite a few years ago now. Release your mind, release your soul, release your job, release your like all of that. Like that's that's sort of something that's been brewing for a long time, mm. and and she's she's captured it. I think in in a very layered Beyonce way, which I love, and as you said, paying it back to her forebears musically, which is also great. It would have been nice to know that she had actually had contact with Robiness, you know, just to say, "Hey, this is going on." But you know, I guess that's how the music business works these days, isn't it? I hope that Robiness is getting some sweet payola for this. I hope she's getting some she some be. nice royalties. <laughs> Oh, she will be. She'll be off to the Bahamas next week. Oh, so- That's exactly what I would do. Side note on royalties, just because we've spoken about this the last few weeks on Bang On, I saw someone tweet that Kate Bush, who basically wrote, recorded, did everything for Running Up That Hill, is currently clocking about £250,000 a week for the streams that she's getting off that. That makes me so happy. How good. Maybe oh, she can update her others- website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she could employ a young... Young tech savvy person, maybe pay them a few quid to or get at least, it you know, just like buy buy a Squarespace account or something. Anything's better than the website she's got. Fish people. <laughs> now I haven't I haven't heard it, but she, Kate Bush did actually do an interview. Um, she's done it with the BBC Women's Hour, and this was only a couple of days ago. So if oh, you're fantastic! Keen, okay. Perhaps we can listen to that as well if you've got any time during the week, because apparently she took a, took some time out to have a chat, which she notoriously never does. But on the back of of all of this that's happening with Stranger Things, like I heard it on commercial radio, running up that hill on commercial radio the other day. It's amazing. It still sounds so fabulous. But to hear it in the midst of a contemporary playlist like that was was actually quite. Um, yeah, it was it was quite shocking for me, but I, I loved it. But yeah, she took some time out from gardening, um, <laughs> just to say hello. Just okay. a little bit of gardening. All right. Well, I'll find a link for that and I'll chuck that in the show notes. Definitely keen to hear that. Just before we wrap up on our bay chat, and you know, we could both talk about her for days and days. Um, I don't know if you saw the amazing UK Vogue 
June edition where she's the yeah. cover star and there's an amazing spread. Again, in this way of her paying it forward, throwing it back, but also lifting up those who are coming up in the world. Beyonce always platforms young emerging artists of colour and she's done that again mm. um, with this British Vogue cover shoot. She's used a photographer by the name of Raphael Pavarotti who um, was born in a small village in the Amazon rainforest and is Afro-Indigenous, a Brazilian photographer who uses that experience, his black and Indigenous experience very much in, in his art. So she's used Raphael um, as the photographer for this incredible piece and she's also in this first song used a couple of black producers, female black producers in an industry mm. where less than 1% of music producers are black women. She's used a couple of um, producers, Brittany Chaikoni and Denicia Blue June Andrews, who make up Nova Wave, who have worked on this first song. Mm. So, you know, she walks the walk, she talks the talk. She's, she's literally a queen and I am so, so excited yeah. about this new record, The Renaissance. Some people have discussed the irony of one of the world's greatest Brazilianaires telling us all to leave our jobs, but <laughs> let's not go into that. I don't want to look too deeply into that. Oh, bless. Oh, bless Beyonce. Zan, we got sent a really interesting article uh, that's very much of our time. It's it's by journalists. It's in The Guardian, Rachel Arosti. How Messy Millennial Women Became TV's Most Tedious Trope. And uh, I read this headline going, oh, no, they're not, the backlash hasn't already started. We're only just getting some great TV. We're only just getting some great women characters, female characters. We're only just getting what we've been wanting for so long and already the tide has turned. Um, and the article starts off with she's charismatic, self-destructive and increasingly tiresome from Fleabag through to everything I know about love, which I'm going to bang on about. Chaotic female <laughs> leads now seem to be the default one-note expression of womanhood. It's time to move on. Oh, my God, I didn't know how to feel after I read this. Have you, have you given this one a squeeze that? Yeah, it was weird because, I mean, she Rachel acknowledges that she's a goody two-shoes, that she's got her shit together and so the characters don't resonate with her. And it is an editorial, it's an opinion, which is one person's perspective. So just putting that out the front of it. But also she kind of seemed, as I read it, and I sort of saw where she was going, but she almost seemed to answer her own criticisms within the article. Like a lot of the stories and characters, and just to give you a kind of frame of reference, you know, she talks about Hannah Horvath in Girls, you know, one of the original messy millennials, and uh, Arabella in I May May Destroy You, the incredible series from Michaela Cole. And, you know, of course, Fleabag and, and all of these shows that have found a home because, frankly, female stories haven't been told <laughs> very much or very well for a long time. And so obviously there is a hunger for this. That's why these shows are being made. But she sort of talks about, you know, a lot of the the stories and the characters in these TV shows are dealing with serious emotional upheavals and, and, and poor mental health. And, of course, showing that on screen, showing someone laying in bed for hours and not being able to lift their head is not really great television. So from a creative visual point of view, you know, you've got to have physical explanations of that. You've got to show someone acting out, being physically destructive. That's needed. But that's what she also dislikes. And it's kind of like... You're critiquing a TV show and explaining how TV is made while saying, I don't like this, but how 
Like, give me an alternative. <laughs> give me a solution. Mm. It just didn't make sense to me. And it's sort of well, like, like just- someone, some someone like a television where someone makes spreadsheets and tidies their flat. I mean, I'm not really into <laughs> that, to be honest. That's my life. I see. The thing is that I am Rachel. I'm the one who's, you know, kind of a goody two shoes and have got my shit together. But I still enjoy these pieces because, you know, the, these these stories and the way that some, it's not just that this person is a total mess. You see a story arc. You see how they come through that and there's a triumph to it. You know, it gives you a sense of their character, how their character grows and their arc. This is storytelling. It happens with men as well. It happens with non-binary characters as well. I just didn't I didn't get this article. And again, it is an editorial, but it just yes. didn't resonate with me. Yeah. And look, the fact that we just had Top Gun rebooted with the, you know, sort of rakish, hopeless man who can't fit into the system, and that hasn't changed since the first Top Gun, and that's however many years ago. You know, like if men are allowed to retell their stories, surely we're allowed to bore the shit out of it, out of people <laughs> without repeated characters. You know, that's fine. Boring the shit out of audiences is equal opportunity is what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I get her point. She, she makes an interesting point about how these shows often conflate a personality type with trauma or mental ill health. And, and she does say that that is starting to feel unhelpful these are her words because it makes destructive behavior a shorthand for psychological distress and she writes when in reality many people struggle in quieter more self-contained ways but again as you said you know there's 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 an element of storytelling here and Mm. it's I think I think she makes a point but I'm not sure it's that useful I think we're still in the stage where we should just be appreciating (laughs) the fact that we've got interesting characters all of a sudden. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they've got depth. There's, you know, they can be one thing in one episode and something else in in another that's, you know, they're they're, they're three-dimensional characters and I'm not sick of it. So um, thank you for sending us that that little note, uh, Bang Fam. It was a really interesting read, and I think that you know I will like state the bleeding obvious. Obvious, we're not millennial women, so maybe we read this in a different way and we experience it in a different way. Um, we're boomers, basically. We're not boomers. Um, <laughs> we're not boomers. <laughs> Although I felt like it at the logies. I felt like a boomer. I felt I, I felt pale and stale by the end of it. <laughs> we're, we're Gen Xers, but. Um, these stories certainly weren't around when I was growing up and I'm pretty glad to see them now. Yeah. Hey, Miff, before we get into your wonderful bang on about messy millennial women perfectly, can I just thank you for sharing this beautiful news that captures, which if you're wondering what they are, they're the little things that you have to check saying, I'm not a robot or (laughs) click the squares where there's a car, a tractor or a traffic light. There's going to be no more. If there's a traffic light or a palm tree, oh, my God, is there anything worse than having to do that? You're like, I just want to pay this bill. I'm paying. Why do you need to know who I am? And I feel like the the captures always come up when you're, like, using your phone or you're in a rush. It's always the most inconvenient of time that you've got to, like, really focus and be like, is that a pole or is it a traffic light? But for people Mm. who use uh, Apple products, they are creating something that will be automatic verification, which stops the fraud that these captures are trying to stop and no longer will you need to verify if you are or are not a robot. And I am excited about this 
uh, this future that we're about to fall into, this new update, because death to captures such a punish. Such a punish and such a – it feels like it, it belongs in a time of, of dial-up. <laughs> like every time you see it, you're like, are you serious? Is this happening? How does this still um, exist? And, and also, how did I still manage to get them wrong half the time? Like <laughs> I'd be looking at <laughs> I'd be looking at them in the letters and going, is that a B or a or a C and an L? I can't tell. It's together. Oh, I is it a G it. or is it a six? Is it an up down yeah. upside down six? Like what's happening? And you know, the amount of times I haven't been able to see a truck in the pictures <laughs> or a motorbike where you have to click it on or I've missed one is and then you have to do it again. Anyway, I'm I'm very pleased about this development. It should have happened a long time ago. RIP captures. Now, what are you banging on about if we're talking about messy millennial women? We are talking about a television series, a BBC TV series that is actually, I think, streaming on Stan in Australia. And it's everything I know about love. And I think this is the one TV show that actually inspired that article on messy millennial women. Um it's written by Dolly Alderton, who you might know. I've, I think I've banged on about the podcast that she used to do, The High Low, which was mm. kind of a UK version of, of what Bang On does to a certain extent. And she's a writer. She's written a couple of books. This this book that it's based on is a memoir of sorts from her called Everything I Know About Love. And it's essentially a story of her growing up in her 20s in London in I think it's 2012. And I, I was attracted to this originally because I was living in London in 2012, but I certainly wasn't a messy millennial at that point. I was just a messy, messy nearly 40-year-old, but it's it's got lots of vibes of that time, which I loved. But it's also a really cute little show and I think it's going to be reasonably meaningful to, to particularly women of that age um, who went through that time and, and that period. I've seen lots of people tweeting about it on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of very uncomfortable stuff, the things you do in order to to be in a relationship that you think you want, that sort of awkwardness, that kind of sadness, the, the, the sadness that you experience when you are partying all the time and then wanting something deeper with somebody else and then find, and they're pretty shallow or they're not that into you like it's it's all there and it's it's really cute um I'm only halfway through it at the moment but I thought in light of what we were talking about today I should bang on about it because I'm enjoying it immensely perfect so what's it called on Stan you said and what's what's the title everything of it? I know about love awesome okay great I will access that when I'm back in the country yeah. I can't access any yeah. of my streaming services Oh, what? Oh, of I'm, course, because you're out of the country. I'm two weeks behind on Drag Race. It's killing me. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I forgot about that factor. That's not good. Yeah. Um, can't you? What? That's odd that you can't access it overseas with a login. You can only access Netflix. You can't access any of the Australian streaming services. Well, that sucks. I'm so sorry. Oh, look, I'm, go- I'm doing okay. I'm in Nashville. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, you'll be right. I think you'll be right. How is it going? Is um, I suspect this might be what your bang on might be about this week. Is that right? <laughs> 100%. Although I will give a little nod because I finally, on the flight from LA to Nashville, it was a pretty decent flight because we're pretty far east in, in Nashville. You always think of it as the south, but it's quite far east as well. So it took us about three and a half, four hours to get here from LA and I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I've been meaning Ooh. to watch for like two years. 
Me too. Absolutely brilliant. In terms of watching films on planes, there are a couple of really intense lesbian sex scenes. And so oh, my, yeah. my passenger mate next to me definitely got a, a bit of a guernsey as to what I was looking at, but I didn't care because <laughs> I'm never going to see them again. But yeah, we've talked before about the things that you watch on planes and I was thinking to myself, oh. well, it's a period film, so it's not going to be pornography, but there were some moments, but just beautiful, just beautiful. So I highly recommend Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But I, I wanted to bang on about Nashville because I this is my second time that I've been here. I've been lucky to visit twice. Last time I was here was in about 2016 and it was in March, so it was much colder. And it is just such a wonderful town. If you've never been to Nashville, bang fam, put it on your list. Do yourself a favour. And literally wear a cowboy hat while you're here because it is just such an amazing, gorgeously welcoming southern city. It's a pretty small city. I think the population's only just over a million. And so it's really easy to get around. It's not as hectic as LA. Everyone opens doors for you and says hello, Mm. is so polite. No one's tooting on the roads. It's the polar opposite of Los Angeles. And it is, you know, it is the city... Is beating heart is music and it's just such a joy to be in a place where music is held at such high esteem. So we've been having a great time here in the lead up to our final interview that we're doing um, for Take 5, which is happening in a couple of days. And funnily enough, I told you how I haven't managed to see any celebrities, um, although I will say this, the other night when I went to a gig in LA, mm-hmm. um, Nikita, who's my amazing EP, executive producer on the TV show, was like, I saw someone who I think was famous. And then like a day later, she was like, oh, my God, I just realised it was Perez Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) Random. (laughs) Random. That's the level of celebrity shit celebrity sightings we've had. But we've we've managed to to up it uh, a little bit because the other day we were at Third Man Records, which is Jack White's iconic label recording studio, Um, he's now got a pressing plant in Detroit, but the original one's in Nashville where he lives. And we were getting a little recce doing a tour in the backstage area because that's actually where we're going to be filming this final interview. And we were wandering around the backstage area and, of course, it's just like Jack White's personal collection of wild shit. It's insane. And so we're wandering around doing a recce, figuring out where we can do some shoots, and then (laughs) Jack White just walks out of his office (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> literally, literally that's what he said He's oh, like, hey guys hello and I was like you know when you when you see someone and you're like trying to play it cool but your voice just totally betrays you I was like hello <laughs> <laughs> I was like what nice to see you too, too loud from Australia. Hi. And too high pitched <laughs> just too keen and I've interviewed him a too number keen. of times including face to face but of course you know Point of reference, he would have no idea as we're walking past. Nah. So I didn't say anything. But then I saw him again. He's just like walking around. I'm like, of course, this is like a work day for you. This is your office. So we're just yeah, in Jack, that's Jack his White's nine to five, Zach. That's his <laughs> nine to fiver in there. He's, he's um, asking someone if they can pick him up a coffee down from the <laughs> shop down the road. Anyone want a coffee? Yeah, I'll have one, thanks. Anyway. He's, he's checking seen- his emails. He's deleting. He's deleting. <laughs> like he's just do- doing normal shit. Oh, my God. So that's my celebrity spot at his place of work, it. Jack White, with cross paths. So I've got a few more days in Nashville. I'll see if I can do a uh, a Dolly Parton sighting. That's my, my main Please. My main aim is to see Dolly in town. So Nashville, must put it on the to-do list when I next go to America. 
Oh, you'd love it here. You'd just buy all the tassels and all the glitter. You'd be rhinestoned up to the eyeballs. Yay! We'll come back here when we go to Dollywood. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Yeah, Dollywood, Graceland and our other uh, Elvis's Palm Springs honeymoon, honeymoon mansion. That's what we're going to do. That's our plan. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, I'll see you back in Australia next week, which is exciting. I know. I know. You're hosting the ABC 90 Years thingy next yeah. Thursday. So you're a busy lady. <laughs> That's the catchy title of it too. Well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're a busy lady. Yeah, I'll be bringing you bang on um, on the same day as that, so it should be a fun and hairy day, but we can roll with it. I can't wait to see you, though, in the flesh. And you too. And just a reminder, if anyone's interested, that episode that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago of Who Do You Think You Are that I did is on this coming Tuesday. Oh, sick. If anyone's keen to watch me, I made something in the middle of lockdown, pretty emotionally brittle, um, so I think I'm crying a lot. Uh, That's all I'm going to say. Oh, my God, I'm so I'm keen for this. Look, I'm terrified I look a bit unhinged because, yeah, it was the middle of lockdown. I was living alone. This was the highlight of my life at that point and it was a lot to, it was a lot to take in even in those circumstances. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit, bit terrified but I'm sure it's fine. I can't wait to debrief after I've seen it on Tuesday. Let's do that next week. I'll see you soon. Okay. Miss you. Love you. Love you. Bye. on.